and everyone. If I may, uh, just before we get into the Word, you can be turning to James chapter 5, That's where we're going to be this morning together. Uh, just have uh, a couple weeks ago, let you know that the, we have a new website that we have been working on this summer, and it went live a little over a week ago. And I want you to understand why, how and why we're doing the website like we are. Uh, this is the, the homepage. That I just have some slides to show you what the homepage is. Still the same address, ChristCChurch.org. Uh, if you go to the next one, Diane, these are, the, as you scroll down, you see this. You see how we have everything positioned. And then one more, Diane. This is you scroll more, and you'll see this. Uh, this is why we are, let's cut off, we also have the women's uh, simulcast down there. Um, we're using the website this way. It is now, in our day and age, the front door to our church. It's long past that that's the front door. When people drive by and they see a sign, they'll go research it before they show up anywhere. And so we have designed the website with that in mind. So we want this to be very user-friendly. And the, if you go back to, Diane, to the, the picture with Come Worship With Us, uh, on that, we, there's, if you stay on there more than five seconds, it scrolls, and you'll see an alpha announcement. Uh, as we are thinking through this, we want everybody that... We're going to have one that's, hey, come visit with us, but then the next slide is going to be, come to the next event. But as a church, we want us all, we want to funnel everything that we're doing through the website. So if you need to know about an event, we want you to go to the website. If you need to, maybe you're not used to that because it, I understand it hasn't been kept up the way that it needs to be. We're actually doing all of this in-house now. So we've been outsourcing it for years. Uh, we've had somebody in Alabama helping us as the webmaster. But now with this site, it's very user-friendly uh, in the back door, so we have learned how to do that. So we're gonna be keeping all of this in-house and updating it as we go to keep things fresh and current. But we need you to know, this is how we're gonna be using the website. We want it to be the front door of the church so you can invite people. There's uh, new updated little invite cards that you can take, take as many as you want. We have plenty, we'll order more. The website on there is, is that you have to understand, when that website appears, it's the front door of the church. And so when you get somebody, hey, would you like to come to church with me? And we've been discussing uh, church a little bit, and you've mentioned something. Would you like me to join me on this Sunday? The times are one thing, but they're going to go look on that website to find out who we are. And we want it to be that way. We want to invite them. There's also, I didn't show you, there's a little invite uh, video that I've placed on there to just let everybody know, hey, we want you to pray about joining us. We want you to, to, the Lord's growing our church family, and we're excited about that. We want you to pray to see if the Lord's joining you to us as well. Uh, so just know that, that that's our, our mindset, is we want to welcome people with the, with the website, and we want to inform the church with the website. But please go on there and peruse. Please, if you find a typo, let me know so I can, we can go in there and change it and update it, because uh, there are several different things that we found already since it's been live that's helping us out. So James chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning. We've looked at James 5.16 in this series, in the one another series that we're doing, Making Christ Visible. 
particularly with confess your sins to one another. And today we're going to look at pray for one another. But really in the greater context of this passage, because in this paragraph that James writes in concluding his letter to the church, he's letting them know prayer matters. It's, it, it's one of the final things he's saying. He's letting them know, here's what I want you to remember. Remember to pray. Remember to pray for one another and remember Elijah who prayed and the effect of his prayers and be expecting that to take place in our own lives. God's word says in verse uh, 13, James 5, 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah is a man, was a man, with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Father, we ask that this word, your word, will stir our hearts to trust you more. Specifically to trust you in prayer as we pray for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this this message is a week early because just in seeking the Lord this past Friday, Mark was supposed to preach this morning on encourage, encourage one another, and he's going to be picking that up next week. But we have faced a barrage of spiritual opposition this week with physical sickness, and I think with Mark visited the ER this week because he's battling a weird sickness. Denny Johnson's got a weird sickness. Avery McNeil's battling mono. I mean, it's been, it's been a tough week for our church. But last Sunday, Jordan, in the word that he brought for us, which was very, uh, it's a powerful word, very encouraging word, but when he brought out from the Psalms, when our song is sad, it, I think it stirred up, you know, there are issues that still linger and there's some anguish, possibly, that still lingers. And maybe it was stirred up in you last week, and it was, it's a fresh wound again this week. And you realize, wait a minute, I thought that was done. I thought we had overcome that. I thought I, I was okay with the Lord in that, that he had healed. Maybe it's an opportunity for the enemy just to remind you. You know, weirdly enough, I was driving the other day and just reminded of all the embarrassing moments of my life. Like, it was a weird moment. Why are I like from when I was a kid said things and embarrassed about those things or just put myself forward in goofy ways and just like oh this house oh. those are those are spiritual opposition moments and we need to know how to respond to those and I think see this on the little schedule that I've got this was for next week but but praying Friday with Mark. Uh, not feeling well and not able to complete his preparations for the sermon. I just sensed the Lord was saying, you know, the church needs to pray now. The church needs to pray for one another. So my, my hope and my prayer has been for us that we would be stirred today to pray for one another and pray for each other in a, in a lasting commitment as disciples 
of Christ. In this passage, we have James who's letting the church know prayer, prayer is the work of the church. It's, it's part, well, evangelism and prayer, but you can't do evangelism without prayer. So we have, we have work to be done, and it's through prayer. And that's how he wants to leave off his writing to the church. But that first verse, verse 13 in our passage, he brings up the whole spectrum of life, suffering and joy. It's two big categories that encompass all of life. The suffering is a catch-all word for all the suffering that we face in life. Whatever difficulty, whatever trial, whatever opposition we might be facing, remember in the very first chapter, he leads off, if any of you encounter trials of various kinds, consider it joy. He connects that even in the first few verses, the first few sentences of his greeting and his instruction to the church. So he's got a suffering, you're facing trials, and it's a catch-all opposition of any kind. That means that's pretty much all of us. But this joy, he says, if anybody's cheerful, this joy, let him respond in praise. If you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, praise. But this joy and cheerfulness is not the absence of suffering. It's actually a category of being held up in the midst of suffering, being buoyant, being sustained by the grace of God within the suffering. We, we look for the removal of all suffering. We want relief and final relief from all of our suffering. And we think that's the joy that God, uh, that, that's, what, that's, that's the type of joy we're seeking. But that actually is more, I think, situated in the circumstances of our lives rather than the character of God. And he wants us to trust in his character so that even, even in the midst of the, the toughest trials, we're able to respond to him with a joy that says, God, I feel sustained by your grace. James encourages his readers to respond to God. Respond to God in either aspect of your life, suffering or joy. If you're suffering, pray. If you're grateful for sustaining grace, praise. Both are Godward responses to the situations and circumstances of life. And both acknowledge the all-sufficiency of God himself. Alec Motyer says this in his commentary on James. He said, it is not so much that our religion should cover all experience as that we have a God for all seasons, both in periods of suffering and trouble and in times of joy, prayer and praise alike, acknowledge that He is sufficient. To pray to Him is to acknowledge His sovereign power to meet our needs. And to praise is to acknowledge His sovereign power in appointing our circumstances, whether as the source of supply and need or the source of the gladness of our joy, God is our sufficiency. We feel that in the midst of suffering or joy, we're responding to God saying, God, this is all about you. It's for you. I submit to you. James is in that first verse of the passage is letting his people know there's an individual response in the midst of our suffering and joy. It's to go to God. Our first response is to go to God. Jordan brought that out very well last week from the Psalms, that in the Psalms that we looked at, Psalm 88, Psalm 42, Psalm 24, there's a Godward response. We want to look to God with whatever situation we're facing. Then in verses 14 through 16 in the passage, we see what's called the prayer of faith. What in the world is the prayer of faith? Well, I think first we have to recognize that James is going from the individual response, go to God, and now he's saying go to one another. 
Go to one another with your needs in order for those to be prayed for and for everybody to uphold you within the community of Christ. First is the elders to pray for the sick. Why does he bring this up? Why do we have to? Because it's not, it's not simply, it's not only get the elders to pray for the sick, because he's saying, no, pray for one another that you may be healed. That's in physical uh, sickness that's, that we're carrying in our bodies. But there's an aspect of calling for the elders, I think, that demonstrates the submission to God's authority to respond to our prayers. God is all sufficient. He's got rule and reign over everything. So even by going to the elders of the church, we're saying, God, I recognize that I need to submit myself to your authority because you have authority over every sickness. Jesus displayed that when he was on the earth, when he healed. Remember when he asked the Pharisees who were there, which is easier, to tell this man to get up and walk or to say your sins are forgiven? They thought it was, tell the man to get up and walk. But Jesus said, no, that's the easy part. The hard part is your sins are forgiven because it's a deeper, a deeper suffering, a deeper sickness. I was reminded of Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, the story of the centurion. I love this story because it looks, the centurion comes to Jesus and he says, I have a servant that's sick. He's, he's appealing. There's prayer going to Jesus. Will you come Will you heal my servant? Jesus said, I'll come right now. He said, no, you don't have to. Because I'm a man under authority as well. And I said, go. And somebody goes. So all you have to do is say the word, Jesus, and he'll be healed. What does Jesus say? Even in Israel, I've not seen such great faith. What was that faith grounded in? It was grounded in the authority and person of God himself. So the prayer of faith first is the acknowledgement and the trust and the, the full, the full, the glorious response that he is in authority over all things. And so every prayer that we bring him is an acknowledgement of his authority, but it's now asking him, God, display your authority in unique ways over your people that bring power and bring healing and bring forgiveness. He says, look, you, there's the... There's save the sick, raise him up, committed sins, there will be forgiveness. Those are powerful words, right? Salvation, raising up, restoration, forgiveness. I think those are one in the realm of physical sickness, but it's also in the realm of the emotional sickness and the mental sickness and the spiritual sickness that a lot of times we battle in life. We recognize first God's authority, his reign, and his rule over everything. So now that we have recognition of his authority, there's a next step in our prayer of faith. And that next step we find in Mark 11, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. All right. Look at verse 24 again. I put it in bold. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. There are mysteries and complexities with that phrase that I'm still trying to mine and figure out. 
Because there are times where I think I'm asking the Lord's will completely, and I don't see anything. They're asking, I'm asking, I believe, what is the Lord's will, and I'm continuing to see things get worse. How do we respond in those moments? See, because a prayer of faith says, God, you're the one in authority, and I trust that you will respond to this when we pray by faith according to your will, like Jesus taught us. But what do we do when God doesn't do anything that we can see? I think that's, that's, that's where we get tripped up. We start looking for what we can see rather than who we know. Our prayers still, the prayer of faith still is grounded in the glory and character of God. It's still upward. But what we tend to do is we remove, remember, it's, we live by faith, not by sight. We, we, that faith this way, we begin to look by sight and it robs something of our faith. It robs a trust. It robs because we start looking for that relief. We start looking for a temporal peace. We just want to get past this, get over it, without recognizing God in the midst of it. And God, in His glory, is more interested in us knowing that He is with us along the way through the trials and sufferings of our lives rather than delivering us from it immediately. Remember the joy. He wants us to have joy but joy understanding his sustaining grace that he's bringing us through it. He's with us as he's bringing us through it. But there's complexities to it. Our faith often becomes not in God, but in the outcome of the answered prayer. But when Jesus says, Jesus says this, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. He says, don't doubt, don't doubt in your heart. Believe it will come to pass. It will be done for him. I wrestle with that. What does that feel like? What, how, do I, how do I do that without feeling like I have to like generate all this faith in me to trust God for something? I can't do that. Faith is not resident in me. That type of faith. What's in me is, God, just take this away so my life can be easy. How do, how do we pray? Believing that we have received it. I'm, I'm still on that journey. But what I do know is that Jesus said that, and that gives me confidence and boldness to pray for the impossible before his throne. And I think a lot of times we might, maybe it's fear of being disappointed. We back off of that boldness and confidence that Jesus wants us to have. Is the first thing, have faith in God. He's, he's saying that the context is in reference when he curses the fig tree. And they come by the next day, and his disciples are like, whoa, hey, that thing's dead. Yesterday you just pronounced a curse on it, and now it's dead. He says, you're surprised by that? that, that it, you say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, it'll be done. Jesus sets a high bar, so we keep on going after it. And by the power of the Spirit, we don't give up in those contexts, even though I don't understand yet, believing that you have received it. It does, I, I, don't wanna, I don't want that to curb my boldness and my confidence before God's throne. So when we pray for the sick, Lord, I trust you are going to heal right now. Do I have the understanding that ultimate healing happens in heaven? Yes. We are not guaranteed healing here. What we know is that God has power to do it. And my response is, God, I trust you. 
So I trust you that, that if I don't see it right now, you're working something greater of your glory so we all see you in your grandeur and your majesty and my life can be changed by that. My life can be oriented to you in a powerful way. God, I want to know your presence like that. So if that means a delayed response, I want that. But I also know, this happened earlier this year, uh, as Kathy was suffering with, with her neck disc issue, I just got very frustrated with the Lord, and I came back to this passage. God, what does that mean? I have been praying for my wife every day. I believe it. And some of you are like, can I come over and pray? Yes, we want to believe that. Yes. And then came across Andrew Murray and with Christ in the School of Prayer, reading through that, as many of you did earlier this year. And he, he drew out that in the book of Revelation, there are bowls of incense that are filled with the prayers of the saints. Remember that passage? All the elders, the 24 elders, are standing around the throne of Jesus, and they're all holding bowls of incense. And that's the prayers of the saints. God collects all of our prayers. Andrew Murray said, it might not be that you have filled up that bowl yet to where it overflows into today. And I went, that's very helpful. One, it's convicting because I, I pout and, God, why don't you just do this? But then it was, oh, I need to keep praying. There was a little, this tension of persevering in prayer and patience and faith that believes that it'll happen now. But can we say those, those tensions in Scripture, we want relief of those tensions, but God plans them so we trust Him. He plans them and orchestrates them so we know He's with us no matter what we're going through. But ultimately, we do say, Your will be done. But we don't use that as a cop-out for our boldness. We don't have that detract from our boldness and confidence before his throne. Another Andrew Murray, helpful quote, Ministry of Intercession, says, Only as a soul comes to know God, becoming occupied with his power, love, and faithfulness, denying self and the world, and allowing the light of God to shine on it, will unbelief become impossible. Church, I want to strive for unbelief to become impossible. I know the reality that when we are in heaven, there's no more faith that's required because we will see him as he is. But today, oh Lord, that we would strive to see him in such beauty that we would see his power and his love and his faithfulness and he would shine onto us in such a way that unbelief would flee. We'd, we'd of course believe him. Of course I've seen his glory. Of course I believe him. Picking back up in the quote, all the mysteries and difficulties connected with answers to prayer will, however little we may be able to solve them intellectually, be swallowed up in the adoring assurance. This God is our God. He will bless us. He does indeed answer prayer, and the grace to pray that I am asking for, He will delight to give. What a promise. And we have to go before the throne with that. So I think all of that comes together in the prayer of faith. There is the boldness and confidence that what we pray for, one, God is authority, or God is the reign. He's the authority, reigning and ruling over everything. Have to start there. And then we come and say, and I will ask boldly. 
and then that mixture of patience within that prayer and that perseverance that's required. It's all based, again, on the confidence that God in his authority desires to bless us and the promise that he'll never stop doing good to us. When God becomes our all-encompassing vision, our prayers will reflect that. And the confidence and boldness in our prayers will, prayers will step up. And, and look, he, he's saying prayer has effect. Saving, raising up, forgiving. The prayers have effect. Then James directs believers to individual response. Then prayer, elders coming in, and then he directs them to one another. See, the gift of healing resides in the church. I believe there are some who are given a gift of healing over particular things that just simply, I don't know why, I don't know how, but God simply uses people in particular categories to pray over things, and things. there's fruitfulness associated with those prayers. I, God just, I think there is a category that God has a, a gifting of healing resting on some people. Don't necessarily think that equates to setting up a tent and having a revival healing time, everybody who has this come. Now, I, I, that happens, and people get healed of that same thing. I, I can't quite explain it that way. I don't see from this passage that it gives us authority to go out and start a healing ministry, because what I see from this passage is that the healing gift is in the church, and there might be some within the church that have a particular gift of healing over something, but that does not exclude every other member of the church. Because James is saying, pray for one another for healing. And so, oh, this is what we need to understand. Every one of us should be standing before God saying, God, can I have that gift right now? Because I want to pray over my friend. I want to pray over my loved one. I want to pray over them and see your healing take place. That's the boldness that we stand with, that we would not disqualify ourselves because we don't think we're, we're close enough to God. We don't go to the elders because they're closer to God. We go to the elders as a, a recognition and a tangible evidence of our submission to the authority of God. God, I'm doing this because you are in control. And you've called me to respond to you. I want to respond to you. But God, show up in a big way. But when we pray for one another, everyone, everyone can be used by the Holy Spirit for healing. Everyone can be used to heal. So we need to be available for that. Expecting. The gift resides for the church. And then he brings in a prayer of a righteous person. I, I, I put that in the notes, prayer of righteous. Maybe righteousness would be a better prayer of righteousness because there's a, like every good teacher, James gives an example to stir faith in his readers. And he, he points to Elijah. But the first thing that we understand is that this righteous prayer is powerful prayer, but this righteousness is not based on performance. It's based in position. We have access to God through Christ. We have a position of justification. We have a position that God has taken away our sins. We are no longer held accountable to the punishment, to bear the punishment of our sins because of our trust in Christ. He removes that sin's domination from us and He places on us the righteousness of Christ. We are heirs with Christ. We are sons and daughters of the King. We have access to His throne. Not because we've done a great job, because we've trusted him. And the same trust that brings us into the kingdom is the same trust that keeps us there to pray bold and 
confident prayers before his throne to a God who wants to respond. We see this with the praying prophet Elijah. And I've always had an affinity for Elijah and his story in 1 Kings 17 through 19. Always had, I, I just, his, his story has always intrigued me. And when I, whenever I've read James and, and read he was a man with a nature like ours, that's helpful for me because I typically want to put the biblical heroes in their own category. You know, they, they really loved God in a very unique way that I will never attain to. But James is saying, no, he, he was a man with a nature just like ours. Because when you think of his story, he had these glorious moments. He raises a widow's son. He prays that it's not going to rain, and it doesn't rain. He raises a widow's son. Then he goes to the, he confronts the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and he prays for God. I mean, this is faith. He put the sacrifice there, and now wet it, and wet it again, and do that seven times. And God, come answer by fire. God responds, and the fire of his glory was so intense that it burned up the water that was around. That's that's some faith. And he, he's on Mount Horeb, the Mount of God, and he hears God's voice. But you know, as those huge moments, those big old mountaintop experiences, this man had some deep, plummeting valleys. He was at a, being fed by ravens at a brook because God told him to pray that it wouldn't rain. And he's, a, he's, he's not released from that suffering. He's with it. The brook dries up. He goes to a lady's house outside of Israel. Is sustained there. But then after Mount Carmel, he, he runs from Jezebel. See, he, I think what he's facing, disillusionment. He's, he's telling God, I'm the only one left that loves you. And God had to correct him and say, hold on a second. I'm the one in charge. You're not in charge. And don't believe what you see. Believe what you know of me. I've got 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So don't, don't think you're the only one. But this man battled with loneliness. He battled with depression and disillusionment. He battled with fear, running from Jezebel, who said, I'm going to kill that dude. Ran. He just stood before all these prophets of Baal, And he's running from the queen. This is a man who had a nature like ours. Had faith and bravery and selflessness as well as fear, depression, pity, and loneliness. He was just like us. And the promise is that he prayed and God answered. And when he comes to that prayed fervently, the original language just said he prayed with prayer. Meaning, just pray. It doesn't have to be bold and eloquent. It just has to be bold. Be bold and simple. Just pray. Why? Because God hears. He prayed again, verse 18. He prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. There is power and effect when we pray because of our position before God. We are to pray by faith because reminded in Deuteronomy 4, 7, for what great nation is there? This is Moses reminding the people of God. What great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? The promise is when you call upon him, he will answer because he hears. What's that mean for us? We need to pray for one another. 
what I think the Lord would have us do. In response to this, I think there's some categories that we need to pray through. And, uh, and to, to do the prayer for one another, uh, I think the Lord would have us just group up. Group up around this room and share with one another. Here, here's what I need prayer for. This is not a counseling session. This is not, in, in both ways, this is not like vomit all of your stuff onto the group and get some counsel from them. This is not time for that. This is, I'm battling fear. I'm battling anxiety. I'm battling depression. I'm battling indecision. I'm battling um, that's in a fear component. I just I'm battling finding the will of God. That's a good category. But whatever you find, whatever opposition you're facing, share it. Now what I would encourage us to do is take a moment, like somebody share. We're going to take a few moments to just, maybe just be open for the Lord to give you a word, maybe a scripture, not lengthy, but a scripture to let, maybe an impression or a vision that God would give you to share with that person. I think the Lord would encourage you with this, pray for that person and do the next. Let's take a little extra time with this. Let's not be rushed through it, but let's be open to one another because there's a confession that happens right now. There's a confession, but also that's for the purpose of praying for one another. So Lord, I ask that you would, in this moment, give us, give us understanding on how to pray a prayer of faith. And Lord, I pray for boldness and I pray for confidence to be with us. And I pray that there would be fruitfulness to our prayers. I pray that we would feel the effect of your power in, in ways that stir from deep within us. And we know, we know, we know that you're responding. Provide that by your spirit, we pray. Thank you, Lord. All right, let's group up. Sickness is one of those two. So sickness, depression, anxiety, fear, however that's happening.